Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Welcome this morning. It's good to be with all of you. You, Many of you are probably aware of this. Some of you may not know, but today is the public launch of our fourth campus in North Aurora. Um, I know this is a thank you, Jesus. He it, um, it was fun last week. I got to go over there for their block party and help out a little bit. And those things are really fun when you're not in charge of them. I'll, uh, like I enjoyed that way more. Um, no, it, it was really great just to see the work that God's doing. It was kind of nostalgic for me, um, just remembering kind of that anticipation that so many of you that were on that launch team that were a part of that, that we were just hoping and praying that, that God would um, bring people here, that, that would hear his word, that they would feel loved and cared for it and known and a sense of belonging. And so um, Andrew and the team over there are praying to that exact end. Today, um, they had their service at 10, so they're just about to wrap up. So he has a, a message for us this morning. So let's begin with that. Last week here at Chapel Street, North Aurora, we celebrated our very first block party. We had hundreds of guests coming through this very lot. And this morning, we open our doors to the public for the very first time. We are so excited about what God is gonna do in this community and already we are hearing stories of ways in which he is at work in people's hearts. I would love for you to keep praying for us together as a church family that we really would be a place where people can experience God's grace, grow in their faith and make an impact right where they are. Thank you so much to those of you who have given and prayed for this. This is an amazing moment uh, and it's the next step of the neighborhood church vision that we all share together. So again, thank you so much. Keep praying for us. We can't wait to see what's ahead here at Chapel Street, North Aurora. I know Andrew's excited. You know what? Uh, they're, just, they're just about to wrap up um, this morning. Let's pray for him real quick. Would you join me? Father, we do just, um, Lord, we come before you and we, we um, ask that your Holy Spirit would just be creating in that place, um, in that neighborhood, that, that, that specific location that you have placed them, a tangible um, living expression of your kingdom that is known by the fruit of the Spirit, where people feel a sense of belonging and connection and invitation into, um, into life in you, into your kingdom. Lord, I pray that every man, woman, and child, uh, whether they were on the launch team or are coming through that door for the very first time today, would be met by you and experience you. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to do that good work. And Lord, the, same, the very same work that we pray for them Lord, would you continue to unfold that here in this Mill Creek neighborhood and this church? And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Just a heads up, um, we're going we're gonna to pray together a couple times in, in this service today. So just uh, brace yourself, I don't know, um, for that. So it was about four years ago, almost to the date, that we opened this campus. Some of you I know were a part of the launch team. You were here, you were that, even watching that video, like that, that brought up a lot of memories for you because we, 
we're doing the very same thing and, and hoping and praying that, that God would use this church and this neighborhood and among our neighbors to be a, a, a communication of his truth and his invitation. And, and we were hoping towards that end and did lots of fun stuff. And one of the things that we learned pretty quickly when we were opening our campus was that we had a, a bit of a parking issue. Um, if you remember that. And so we started to park off site a little bit and, um, and we would run shuttles for uh, people would park at Markland. We'd run shuttles and we learned how to park in the grass. Right. And um, from that time forward, uh, we had extra land out here and we were um, I was always kind of like, man, it'd be great if we could at least extend kind of our grass parking and, and have more space for people to to be able to park on campus and and, uh, and so at the time, there was a family here, and, um, and he worked for a company that, like, they clear grounds for, like, highways. So he showed up, but previously, this out there on the east side of the parking lot was, was uh, this used to be an old nursery. And so there was just residual trees and stuff. And he had this, like, lawnmower thing, but, like, a lawnmower that cuts down trees. Like, it was awesome. And, and he, he cleared all the, the thick stuff, and then it sat like that for a long time, as you know. And last spring, I said to another family, another guy here at the church, I was like, do you think we could just bush hog that to, to make it just look less ugly? Like, can we just knock down the weeds so it, it, doesn't, it looks a little more inviting? And he's like, well, what would you love to do? And I was like, well, I would love to clear it and, and plant grass so we can have additional yard space and people can park there and... Long story short, like he gets a team of people together, equipment starts showing up, the, uh, another guy from our church shows up with a bulldozer, and he excavates, like that's his li livelihood, and he takes all this dirt and spreads it out, and makes it look beautiful, and then another guy's a farmer, shows up with his big John Deere tractor, and they till it all up and make it look fantastic. Um, and we can do all that work, and I'm excited for that, I'm excited to have a big green grass and, and yard out there and we can plant the most premium seed in the world and we get a perfect sun and perfect amount of rain which the second one we could use more of right now but if that soil is no good all that's ever going to be is exactly what it was just a ton of weeds growing up pretty ugly nothing useful and nothing worth looking at today we're we're going to look at what it means to be good soil. And, and Jesus' expression, his description of the condition of our heart and our level of receptivity to his message, his vision of the kingdom. We're in our fourth week now, the study of the Gospel of Mark. And one of our observations that we have noted as we've worked through this together has been the various reactions, the range that people have to, to Jesus himself and to the message of Jesus, to what he is inviting them into. And so some people, when they hear Jesus announce the arrival of his kingdom, they're drawn to it. In fact, we, we looked at one passage where four guys are so desperate to get their friend to Jesus that they literally rip the roof off a house that isn't their own in order to get their paralytic friend at the feet of Jesus. Jesus is compelling, and he's inviting, and they're desperate to get him in front of them. Jesus says, I see your faith and, and I forgive your sins. Yeah, I mean, he heals him and, and he can walk again, but that was, that was the lesser of the two miracles on that day. Some are hearing and responding. 
Others, not so much. Others have heard Jesus' proclamation of God's kingdom and, and their re reaction has ranged from skepticism to outright hatred. They, they've heard Jesus teach. They've seen, even seen the miracles. And yet some of them are so desperate to silence Jesus that they literally go out and make a pact with their arch political enemies and do whatever it takes to, to kill Jesus ultimately. That's their goal. Like this is sort of a, the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of situation. And I think we have this tendency, it can be tempting as we watch this unfold in the Gospel of Mark, to look at these as sort of two opposing camps. That I'm, a, I'm either pro-Jesus, I'm on team Jesus, or I am anti-Jesus. And even if we don't necessarily think of ourselves in these terms, I think we do at times apply them to the way that we view and understand others. The reality, I, I think, however, is, is not quite that simplistic. In fact, I think that these responses perhaps illustrate more of a ends of a spectrum than they do camps. A spectrum that, that demonstrates how receptive we are or totally unreceptive we are to Jesus and to his expression of the kingdom to what what we learn about him through the holy spirit revealing it to us through the gathering of the body of christ together in community and corporate worship through the reading of his word and studying his teaching and looking at his life in the gospels through all of these things we fall somewhere on this spectrum on how receptive we are to his invitation and Jesus says it's all, it's all based on the condition of the soil. And so before we read this passage together today, I want to I just posture ourselves uh, with a heart of receptivity this morning. And so I'm going to ask you, and, and um, I, I don't think this will make you uncomfortable. You guys are a pretty flexible bunch. Would you just put your hands out like this? I just want to put our, our hands out in a posture to receive this morning. And then we'll read and we'll open up God's word together. Father, we do, we come with anticipation to hear from you, to receive from you. So Jesus, would you open up our hearts and our minds, would you give us ears to hear, as again we look at your word and we continue to see more of your kingdom, and would you make that a reality in this place? And would you teach us to live that reality everywhere we go? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Mark chapter 4. Um, if you have your journals, again, we've, we've been passing these out. And as we study the Gospel of Mark together, we encourage you to grab one of these. I have a few more left at the welcome desk if you'd like one. But we're going to be on page 22. This is Mark chapter 4. By the way, I, this is the ESV. So if it sounds a little bit different, I normally teach out of the NIV on Sunday mornings. That's, that's why this might read a little bit different than what we're used to here. But um, that's how these journals were published. So let's read this together. Chapter 4, verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered around him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. 
And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And the other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when they were alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parable, so they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown when they hear Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who hear, and when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately fall away. And others are ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Now, as we think about this passage, I want to just say a word real quickly about the nature of, of parables. Because oftentimes, when Jesus is teaching his disciples specifically about the kingdom and what the kingdom is like, he'll use a parable. He'll, he'll tell a story that provides a picture. Because the kingdom of God, and Jesus understands this, and we've talked about this, is, is very counterintuitive. And it's, it's very counterculture to the way the kingdom of this world works and what we know and have lived in and understand. So Jesus oftentimes, in order for us to get it, his disciples to get it, would tell a story and he paints a picture. In doing so, he's telling about the uniqueness of the kingdom of God. And what's, what's particularly interesting in this example is this is one of the very few times when Jesus tells a parable that he returns to it and he unpacks it for us. He, he interprets it for us so that we understand exactly what it is that he's talking about. In fact, as we study the parables of, um, found in the Gospel of Mark, we'll, we'll use this as somewhat of an interpretive lens about how we understand what Jesus is, is teaching us. But one of the things that's fascinating about, about parables is there, Jesus has this tendency, this way, of sort of placing us in the story, of helping us understand what he's teaching by, 
by the characters and who we are. And here he does it rather overtly as he talks about, about these, these soil conditions. And so I want to take just a few moments today and I want to look at the various elements in this parable and, and think about what God might have in store for us today. So let's begin by considering the sower. The sower, verse 3. He says, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. Now imagine for a moment, if you can, being like a first century Jewish man or woman, you have lived your whole life in the anticipation of the arrival of the kingdom of God. You, your people have built in sense of excitement, wondering if your generation would be the generation when the Messiah comes and Israel is restored and they're back in their place of prominence and they're back in their relationship with Yahweh and, and you've wondered. And so in your head and heart, I would imagine you've probably had a, a vision of what that looked like. In fact, if you were to pick a metaphor, you probably would pick something along the lines of uh, some sort of military hero, some conquering um, a king, some ultimate victory. So when you're, Jesus is proclaiming the arrival of the kingdom, and he says, let me tell you a little bit what it's like. Perhaps, just perhaps, when he says, it's kind of like a farmer out sowing seed. You're like, okay. Like maybe that's not what you were anticipating, not what you were expecting. Here God, Jesus, is cast as a farmer. And it's so ordinary and so common. And, and again, it reminds us, and we've talked about this throughout this gospel, God's methods sort of defy our expectations. But he takes what they know, what is, what is ordinary and common to them, and he begins to explain how he is going to transform the world and inaugurate his kingdom. And he says, you know what, it's, it's a lot like a farmer sowing seed. It's what, it's what they do. It's, it's who he is. Now, there's two things I just want to point out real quickly about the nature of the sower. First, I, what stood out to me is just his generosity. It's his generosity. Notice that, that the sower, when he casts the seed, it's, he does so indiscriminately. In fact, abundantly. Some would even argue recklessly. God's message, his invitation in this, in this parable, it's not stingy or selective. It's broadcast freely in the hopes that it takes root. And I'll be the first to tell you, I, do, I don't know a great deal about farming but this feels uh, like a, a, a tactical error, right? It feels almost wasteful. W wouldn't you get better results if you were selective and careful about where the seed went? About how the invitation into the kingdom was presented? I mention this because it's just one of these things that is another example of the radically different kingdom that Jesus is preaching. It's the very thing, by the way, that has already offended so much of the, the spiritual leaders um, in Israel at the time who have reacted pretty, at this point now, violently to the idea that, that people that were, everyone knew to be on the outside, Jesus has said, you know what, you're, you're in. We want you to be a part of this. It's the same thing, by the way, that when the early church is launching, if you remember, that starts in Jerusalem and it, it's primarily at that point a Jewish uh, group of people. And when 
the gospel goes out to the Gentile, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, they, many of them, it gives them reason to pause. Like, we kind of have this idea that this was a us thing, right? And, and we see Peter's vision, and we see Paul's teaching, and they're saying, oh, this kingdom, this is, this is multi-ethnic, multi-rational, multi-generational. It's, it's, it's going everywhere. Like, this is for everybody. It's people in power and people in weakness. It's, this is, I'm sending this out everywhere. It's the very same thing, I think, that sometimes when we're caught off guard offends us. That we have visions of who this is for and where it should go and who belongs. But when we see the sower sowing his seed, it's just generous. It's who he is and it's what he does. But then also notice the, the invitation. This is the second thing here, his invitation. You, like, we have all experienced moments when you're trying to get your kids' attention, right? And they're on their phone, and you're about to leave the house. You got a few things you need to tell them, and you're relaying the information, and you even get like a head nod, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you're a thousand percent confident that they didn't hear a word you said, right? Or like those moments when your spouse is watching the football game, and you're trying to like, hey, I'm going to go do this. And I'm like, Sherry, Sherry, come on. It's usually not her. It's, um, like we all experience that. Like what's the invitation of the sower is to listen. Verse three, it says it emphatically, powerfully. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. Verse nine, and he said to them, he who has ears, let him hear. This is, we, we heard this again and again when we were studying the seven churches in Revelation, verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are those who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. In fact, that, that Greek verb translated hear or listen is used 13 times throughout these 20 verses. The invitation is to listen in fact, in verse 3, it's, it's in an imperative. It's a command. Hear me. Listen to what I have to say. The par- at, the, at the heart of this parable is the truth that God is speaking. That He is inviting right now, today, here. And the question for us is, am I listening? Am I stopping long enough to hear and to listen? How do you and I enter into how do we live according to the kingdom of God? Jesus says the the kingdom of God comes through hearing, through taking in and receiving this invitation to us, or again in in verse 3, the command to us is to listen. And that's a little bit about the sower. And the next element in this parable then is the seed. It's the seed. Verse 14 simply says this. Jesus is interpreting this parable, and he says, the sower sows the word. And what is the word? What is the gospel that Jesus has been proclaiming? We've been going back to this verse pretty much every week. Chapter 1, verse 15. Mark defines it this way. He says that when Jesus proclaimed the gospel, he proclaimed saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, we think about this this lawn space out here that we hope will one day soon be green and grass and we can park on it and use it and play on it and have church picnics and all that sort of stuff. 
This, this lawn is experiencing two types of transformation. The first transformation it experienced was sort of a transformation of force. Gigantic machines came over here and were dropped off and, and just tore up the land, removed tree stumps and cleared it and got rid of weeds and, and, and acted their will on the land. And it created a, a beautifully level space. It prepared it for grass seed. It did a lot of things, but, but ultimately that type of transformation in and of itself is, is temporary. Because if that's all that happened, if that's all that we do out there, again, in six months or a year or certainly within four years, it's going to look exactly like what it was before we started anything. This is, this is sort of the transformation that we think of in terms of how our world operates, right? We, we know this and understand this. Some authoritative force outside of ourselves comes and, and does this in us. But the greater, the lasting transformation that we hope to see unfold out in that yard space is going to come from a tiny piece of grassy. Millions of them, actually. Where if we get enough rain, those grass, that grass is going to put down roots. And it's going to begin to grow and it's going to begin to transform that land. And that's the transformation that will actually last. That's the transformation that can make that into something entirely new, something entirely different. And I, I want to be brief on this, but this is key to understanding Jesus' kingdom work. And Jesus, he is, he's fond of using these metaphors where he takes something that's really small and that we might otherwise look as insignificant, like yeast in Matthew chapter 13. He does the same sort of thing, and he talks about a little bit of yeast being worked into 60 pounds of flour. And how it totally transforms that flower. Or he talks about a mustard seed, the, this tiny little seed that out of it emerges an entire tree. So when we think about understanding the nature of the kingdom of God, the blessings of the reign of God in, in here right now on earth, Jesus says it's accomplished, it's realized when the word of God, this proclamation of the gospel, the seed takes root in individual lives and transforms them. Like when it starts to reorient who we are and becomes something entirely new, something that I never was prior to, to his invitation into his kingdom. So in his kingdom, things like hate and greed and oppression and injustice, they aren't defeated through political savvy and social strength. They are defeated through transformed people using every resource at their disposal, including political savvy and social strength, to see the blessings of the kingdom of God realized right here, right now. It's what he does. That has always been his plan is to plant the seed of, of his gospel of his kingdom in an individual life and to transform that individual life and to do that and then they start to gather together and they start to become a corporate people and maybe here in this space we become this um, expression of his kingdom not perfectly we will mess it up and some of you have seen that and know that and and it's true 
but hopefully we're growing in that and we're becoming a truer, more accurate expression of that kingdom and other people are seeing it and they hear the invitation and that, that seed takes root in them and they're transformed and then they become a part of it. And then we go from this place and we start to live out this kingdom vision in my home and in my neighborhood and when I go to work and when I'm in the grocery store and getting gas and people are seeing it. That's always been his plan to transform people and to transform people living out. And that's how he's going to change the world. It's the church. And this brings us then to this third element of the parable. And that, of course, is the soil the soil. I, um, I had an opportunity a couple years ago, and maybe some of you have done this as well. Have you ever taken like one of those Meyer Briggs like personality tests? Um, I find these things t- to be kind of fascinating, but they also make me a little bit nervous um, because I'm always like, uh, there's a side of it that's like, is that, is that how I work? Is that how I'm I'm wired? And so this was this group of, of youth pastors that was in Lake Geneva, and this, uh, we were this expert in uh, Myers-Briggs was unpacking our personality types. And you can do this with Enneagram, and there's all sorts of resources on this. And so as he's unpacking our personality types, he has this chart that he wants to show us that it'll compare our personality types to a wide, the, the characters in Star Wars. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, you know. But I, like, immediately got nervous. And I, like, just started to pray silently, like, Please don't be Jar Jar Binks. Please don't be Jar Jar Binks. Like, like the worst Star Wars character of all time. And so when I took my personality test, I found out that I am an ESFJ. And so if you know about this stuff, that might resonate with you. If you're like me, it's like I learned it once and kind of forgot all about it. But he puts up this chart. And there it is. Look at the bottom middle corner. ESFJ. Jar Jar Binks. Like... <laughs> I would have rather been the emperor, give me Darth Vader. I would have even been an Ewok if I had to be. But like, please not Jar Jar Binks. And this is, here's the thing that, that makes us nervous about these personality types and these tests is that it places you. It, it puts you in a spot. And make no mistake what Jesus is doing here is he teaches us about these soil types. He, he's bringing us into an understanding of who we are, even if it's, if it's painful, if it's hard to hear. This is bar- back in, in Mark chapter 4, in verse 13, as he unpacks this parable, he says, He said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, immediately, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word, that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on the count of the word, immediately fall away. And the others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. If you hear this parable, 
And if all we do is, is merely receive it as, as an interesting metaphor, or worse off, if, if we hear the parable and we kind of use it as a tool to diagnose people around us, I think we're missing the point. See, Jesus is placing you in the parable. And his intent, his desire is to cultivate in you a heart that is receptive to his message of the gospel, to the seed, to his vision of the kingdom. So notice the four soil conditions here. We'll, we'll move the, through these rather quickly, but he, he identifies, he begins with the hard soil and what he then describes as the hard heart. Jesus' invitation to this person, to this heart, fails to penetrate, it fails to take root. I think oftentimes when, when we think about perhaps this soil condition, we just see this as the person that is overtly resistant, and, and that's certainly one expression of it. I think it also sometimes takes shape when, when somebody treats Jesus and his vision of the kingdom in terms of, it's, it's like theoretical to them. It's an intellectual curiosity. So you may know a great deal about what Jesus taught. And you may be able to even relay or convey that information to somebody else. But when it comes to the call to sacrificially and generously love my neighbor whose political sign in their front yard offends me, no thanks. That's unreasonable. They almost like, trust me, the king doesn't, the sower, the farmer doesn't want to scatter seed in that direction. Jesus' kingdom, he, he never intended it to, to merely exist in the realm of the theoretical. Jesus is quite clear that his intent, his desire is that his kingdom would be experienced. And notice that this is the one soil where there's a direct reference to um, spiritual warfare. It says Satan comes and takes away the word. So each of these, these soil conditions, they, they bring us to the place of evaluation and ask us to consider a question. So the question that I want us to think about as we consider the hard soil is this. It's simply how receptive are, am I, are you, to how God wants to change and use you? How open are you to that? How willing to consider that? Even if it's outside of of what you envision for yourself, even if it's outside of what you consider comfortable or have even thought possible. The second soil that Jesus teaches on is the shallow soil, the shallow soil or the shallow heart. He says, notice this, that the shallow soil, they, they receive the message with joy. They're excited but the problem is, is that the roots have no depth. The, the, the shallow soil is a very emotional, very circumstantial response. So the kingdom of God, when it's in shallow soil, the, the idea is the kingdom ought to be relatively comfortable. Like that we ought to be able to endure that. The issue, the challenge with that is that Jesus never taught a comfortable kingdom. That's never the vision that, that he set out in front of the church. And so our worship and, and shallow soil really becomes more about what the king provides for us rather than of the king himself. I think, and maybe you've experienced this as well, this is, this is 
This COVID has exposed some shallow soil in my heart at times. I'm like, man, that is where my circumstances have influenced how I understand my king. And, and, and Jesus wants to expose that. So the question that this, this soil asks of us is, is the quality of your faith dependent on your circumstances? Is the quality of your faith dependent on your circumstances? Then there's the thorny soil and what Jesus refers to as the, the divided heart. Like there's, there's no shortage of YouTube videos out there that show the dangers of distracted people, right? Like you can go on and watch people who are so distracted on their cell phones or whatever else that they're walking in a mall and don't notice a fountain in front of them and fall straight into the water or who are at a sporting event and sit front row seats at an NBA game and a ball hits them in the face because they're, they're on their phone rather than watching what's going on in front of them. We know the precarious nature of a divided, distracted heart. And I would, I would contend that the suburbs are filled with thorny soil. Distracted, divided. This is that Jesus and. So here are some indicators, and this, isn't, this is just me thinking out loud. This isn't in the text. Jesus doesn't offer this. But here's some, here's some things that, that may be indicators of a distracted, divided heart. Is if you, you constantly find yourself exhausted and emotionally spent. If you find yourself in a place where you're frequently irritable and impatient. If you have zero margins in your life for unplanned issues and unplanned opportunities. If there is very little attention or listening that's given to the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit, or as in Jesus' words in verse 19, he just says, if it's just, it's unfruitful. Like the, the fruit of the Spirit, they're just not being produced in this, in this type of soil. There's, the growth is limited and it's restricted could be evidence of, of a divided heart. So the question to consider is this, does God have to share space with other priorities in your life? Or does he determine them? Does God have to share space with other priorities in your life? Or does he set them? Is he one thing among many? Is he, I'm going to fit in some time with him. It's, it's just, I'm going to get around to it soon. And, and I'd love to just sit down and talk with him, spend some time in prayer. I'd love to open up his word. I'm going to spend some time in Christian community as soon as I get these other things done. What is the relationship become one thing among many, or is it the thing that sets the many in their place? And so if you're anything like me, there, there might be aspects of each of these soils that, that you can recognize in your own heart. And our objective, our goal here today is not to discourage, it's not to make us feel guilty, it's, it's not to demean in any way, because there's great news in the midst of all of this. There's a farmer, and he's really good at his job, and his job is to sow the seed, and he cultivates the soil. 
There's a farmer who is able to loosen hard soil, to clear rock, and to pull weeds. There's a farmer, he is the one who changes the condition of the soil. And so he ends by giving us this vision, this understanding of the good soil and the open heart. It's a heart condition that is prepared to receive Jesus' invitation and his kingdom vision. It's a heart condition that is transformed from being barren and shallow and cluttered to that which Jesus says, here's the word, accept it, and bears fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. It's productive, according to Jesus. Some commentators say that a, a productive crop in this time in, in the Middle East and first century would have been about tenfold that they would have looked at that and said, we had a good year. Jesus says the gospel, this work that I'm doing in you, it, it produces multiple times that. So the question that the good soil asks of us is simply, am I moving towards Christ? Am I moving towards my neighbor in my life? Am I moving towards him in his character and his vision and his invitation to the kingdom? Am I moving towards my neighbor in the expression of that? And so as we conclude this morning's service, I want to return to just a time of prayer. And I want to invite you in the space that we're going to provide in just a few short moments to just allow the Holy Spirit to, to help you process and evaluate if, if he is placing us maybe in specific areas in our lives and he's revealing some of these soil conditions. I just want to give him time to speak and for us to stop and listen and invite the sower to come in and to cultivate in us, in our hearts, good soil. Would you pray with me? Jesus, in the stillness of this space, would you reveal to us areas in our lives that are just hard or, or rocky or weedy. Lord, would you reveal to us the areas in our life where, where your kingdom vision is restricted and where the seed of your gospel is, is struggling to take root. Lord, we invite you as the sower, as the farmer to come through your Holy Spirit and cultivate our heart's condition. Overturn it. Loosen the soil. Lord, give depth. Remove any rocks that would, would prevent the roots from going down deep. Lord, pull the weeds that so frequently seek to choke out your vision and your kingdom and your truth. Lord, cultivate our hearts. Do this and me do this in this community so that we may be receptive to what you have for us. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as we wrap up this morning, um, I want to just remind everybody, I hope you probably are aware of this, but immediately following service today, we're going to hang out and be together. Um, I've talked about this a little bit over the last few weeks, but 
Um, as we were looking forward to the fall, our, and our staff was thinking and praying about these things, we just had this conviction, I think, that um, we needed to be together in community, and that the work that, that God has given us to do in the Mill Creek neighborhood and, and amongst your neighbors, in order for us to be effective in that, we would need to be a unified um, group of people doing that. And sometimes the only way to get there is just spending time together. You know that the most frequent metaphor used in the body of Christ throughout the New Testament is that of family, of brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and parents and all that. And if you look across this room, like, you'll find it. You'll find the, the weird uncle that you're afraid of what they're going to say, right? You'll find the, the cousin that kind of comes and goes at various times. You'll find somebody, a brother and sister that will walk with you in anything. And, and, and we come from all different places in all different ways, but, but God has put us together here at this time for this purpose. And so we're going to eat together. There's going to be great food. Uh, we've had people working hard who have been um, roasting and getting pulled pork ready. And there's guys out there on the grill who are got burgers and brats and all of it. We got a bluegrass band here this morning that's going to be playing some amazing tunes. Um, we got some stuffed games out for the kids just to run and play. This is really just intended for you guys to enjoy time together in community, being together. Maybe get to know somebody that you haven't met yet um, and, 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 uh, and learn a little bit about who they are, hear their story, uh, maybe grow deeper in a relationship that already exists. But we hope and pray that God would continue to churn in us a sense of kingdom community so that we can be effective agents of that here when we're together and everywhere that we, we go. Oh, and we have um, a gift that we want to give you. We had volunteers who, um, who said they would step up and do all the food, and so we saved a bunch of money on that. And so we have something that we want to leave you with today that is, uh, we hope and pray that it's just a tangible expression that you carry with you that says, hey, there's a place where I'm cared for and I'm known and I belong. We, we pray that that's true. And so, you know, these, these little things, you never know if they're going to do that. But when you put on that hat or wear that shirt or whatever it is, I pray that you say, you know what, there's a place where somebody wants me there. Um, and so I, I have a great day uh, being in community. Put out your lawn chairs. Food will be served in maybe about 15, 20 minutes, something like that. So we're excited. And we have a beautiful day, beautiful weather. So be in community together. Now stand and let me offer this morning's benediction. Jesus, I'm so thankful to be a part of this community, to call this family. And so today, if, if today is something of a family reunion, Lord, I just pray that we would connect in a shared expression of your vision for your kingdom and the gospel truth of what grace does in our lives. May we love each other well so that we will be prepared and effective at loving our world well. And we go in your name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Hang out, grab your lawn chairs. We'll get the music going and be together.